Hello, everyone, and welcome to what will become one of the coolest history-related podcasts you know, Fast Past. My friend Jason and I decided to drop this last minute to celebrate the 50th anniversary of one of the most iconic music festivals in history, one that defines the decade it was from, Woodstock. Now, you may be wondering, what in the hell we are? Basically, we'll just give a full introduction in the first official episode, but basically we're a podcast that, re- that talks about rarely talked about history. I mean, we are also trying to approach history from a non-biased perspective, just looking at things in a different way. Exactly. Our first month of like legitimate episodes are going to be famous assassinations, but I was talking to Jason about a paper I did in college about Woodstock, and we realized it was the 50th anniversary, and well, we just decided to do a Woodstock special before the official launch of our podcast in September. So, please enjoy. So, what I did my paper on was that Woodstock was not intended to be this cultural giant that it's known as today. I mean, when you think of the 60s, you think of Woodstock, even though it happened at the end of the 60s in 1969. But what the actual event ended up being was a culmination of the tension, fear, and joys of the 60s rolled into one giant event. So, how did we get here? And what was Woodstock intended to be? Well, we have to briefly get into the 60s. So the South at that time was in a vicious war for civil rights, which was violent and deadly. Uh, The South was divided. Some people were pro-civil rights. Others were against it. The amount of crime and the rise of white supremacy in the South was appalling, and the president didn't do much about it until he absolutely had to. And trust me, we will be doing a ton more on civil rights later because it's history and it isn't talked about nearly enough. And there were assassinations out the ass. JFK, MLK Jr., Malcolm X, and several attempted assassinations. Along with the war in Vietnam, which started in the 50s, it just showed no signs of ending. The 60s were filled with instability, and it led to the public to take action. They wanted change. They held public protests. They spoke out for what they believed in. When they could, they wrote to their officials. They wrote protest music. Woodstock was the place where artists got to express their frustrations over these issues and their desire for peace. Some things never change. And the people who created the festival, though, they did not have these same values as the people who attended. The creators were all white men from wealthy families that were part of the, quote, established way of thinking, aka they were everything that hippies hated. So these people were just trying to cash in on the counterculture movement. They were very get-rich-quick, and it didn't exactly work out. Exactly. The uh, festival organizers were Michael Lang, John Roberts, Joel Rosenman, and Artie Kornfeld. They organized Woodstock. Lang was a Yale Law School graduate. Roberts was set to inherit his family's pharmaceutical fortune. Roseman was the son of a well-known Long Island orthodontist who also graduated from Yale Law. And Artie Kornfeld was the odd man out in the situation. He was the only person who actually worked in the music industry. Hmm. Now, the bulk of the money was supposed to be made off of ticket sales, both pre-sale and at-the-door purchases. Tickets were priced at $7 a day or $18 for the whole weekend pre-sale. So how much would it have been in today's monies? Uh, Well, counting inflation, that would come to roughly $124 for the entire weekend, which, you know, I still think is a pretty good deal. Woodstock pre-sold 60,000 tickets, which was roughly $1.3 million, and that was a lot of money back then. And they expected to make even more at the door, where ticket prices were doubled. $248 for the weekend? Hmm. No thanks, you can catch me at Firefest. <laughs> and they were expecting to make enough money to pay all the acts, $10,000 per, pay for the event location, and other expenses. Now, if Woodstock had gone as planned, they would have made so much more money than expected. It would have made them rich. But uh, it did not go as expected. Good. It got out of hand really quickly. So, first of all, Woodstock took place in Bethel, New York not Woodstock, New York. They had trouble securing a venue in Woodstock because of zoning restrictions, which was 
the huge musical hub at the time, so they kept the name Woodstock and moved it to Bethel on a farm, 600 acre farm. Yeah, the man who owned it, uh, he got paid $50,000, again, a lot of money for the time, but by noon the day before the event on August 14th, 25,000 campers had invaded the surrounding farms, ruining the crops for the farmers. There was a lack of security. The mm -hmm. festival promoters had arranged to hire 346 off-duty policemen at $50 a day. They eventually needed to get several hundred state troopers from 12 different counties to work this fair site. <laughs> the opening act, Sweetwater, had to be helicoptered into the event because they were lost in traffic. So the actual opener was Richie Havens and Sweetwater followed. Something had to give, and the first thing was the ticket collection gates. People had obliterated the barriers. Late Friday night, they announced they make the festival free. 200,000 people were there by Friday evening, and another 100,000 came later on. So 300,000 people in total. Now imagine if they had all paid full price for their tickets. Doing some quick maths, if everyone paid $248 for the weekend, minus the 60,000 people who paid... Uh, pre-sale at $124, they would have made a grand total of $60,820,000. What the hell? Right. The uh, next thing to go were the sanitation facilities. They had 600 porta-potties across the farm and they were breaking down and overflowing. Water from six wells and water tanks were not enough and the above-ground pipe was crushed by, crushed by the, quote, humanity. Oh, the humanity. <laughs> the huge manatee. Uh, <laughs> food was sold out and it was impossible to ferry more food in. Medical officers declared it a medical crisis from the drug use and freakouts that followed. There was a shortage of ambulances and those that were there couldn't get back to the hospital because of the traffic jams. So apparently the traffic was just so abysmal that getting to Woodstock, people just straight up abandoned their cars on the road and just hike on over. So it's no wonder the traffic sucked and the ambulances were stuck because... There's just cars in the middle of the roads. At midnight on Friday night, thunderstorms came in and the water collected on the canopy covering the stage, threatening to collapse it. Great. <laughs> they were also afraid of the stage, which was scaffolding, sliding in the mud. None of this, though, stopped the people from having a good time. They shared food and collected and distributed rainwater as water. Uh, there were 500,000 long-distance phone calls on Friday that the switchboard almost buckled. But everyone who made calls thanked the operator. The hippies also helped get cop cars out of the mud. They were super polite. Nobody had anything negative to say about them. And So, real quick, you're telling me that this is Firefest if Firefest went right. Yes, and assuming that... Like, if all the people worked <laughs> together, weren't stealing crap from each other, and... Yeah, yeah, no. This, this is, is the mentality they were looking for at Firefest. They're trying. They've been trying to emulate Woodstock, but make the actual money Woodstock was supposed to make for years. <laughs> Yikes. There was no violence whatsoever, even though there was so many people, 400,000 by the way. Uh, like, this is what people remember from Woodstock, how mm. nice it was. Now, several thousand people left in disgust. I don't blame them. They complained that they couldn't see anything, they couldn't hear anything. They called for the coordinators to be sued, and a petition to declare the state of emergency in Sullivan County had been sent to Governor Nelson Rockefeller, but he took no action because if he declared it a disaster area, the promoters would not have been liable for any lawsuits. So they got outed by the goddamn governor. They should have extended a hand for aid, and he just lifted his middle finger. I mean, you reap what you sow for your poor attempt at a cash grab. I mean, it was Rockefeller, so... Fair enough. He's just known as being horrible. Yeah. By Saturday morning, 300,000 people were there, and another 100,000 people were still trying to get in. 
let's do some more quick maths. So add 24 million to the 61 million and we have 85 million. And it was a little bit more than that. It was almost $86 million. Yeah, if every the 400,000 people had paid, they would have made $86 million. They would have made so much money off this festival. Especially because they only paid the axe $10,000 a piece. And the farm only 50000 Like, just imagine. And this is $86 million in today's terms. Yeah. Ouch. <laughs> no, this is 1960s terms. No, because we're going off of the $124 oh, right, right, right. for pre-sale and... 248 for uh still freaking crazy yeah that's a freaking lot crazy and um now on top of everything there was a garbage problem at the end of the festival officials said it would take two weeks to clean up the campsites and the roads <laughs> there was a death as well 17 year old raymond mitzak who was run over by a tractor on saturday morning he was lying in his sleeping bag uh, a second death followed one drug overdose but there were two births and four miscarriages as well interesting hmm. time <laughs> A soul for a soul. I can't believe it. Uh, 50 doctors were airlifted into the festival to treat a variety of things. There was reportedly three tracheotomies needed. Dang. Pneumonia. Okay. A broken neck. Ouch. <laughs> diabetic coma. Sounds about right. 5,000 cases in total, but most of them were minor. That's not bad. Not bad. Uh, a myriad of shops popped up in the woods that sold velvet dresses, fuck you shirts, leather goods, and jewelry, along with incense and blouses. Hmm. Now, deep in the woods, there were drugs. Prices were about $4 for a cap of acid or... Mescaline. Thank you. And $15 for an ounce of weed. Hmm. Only tobacco was in short supply. <laughs> Great. The expected number of people tripled, and by the end of the festival, they lost so much money that it actually put this men into debt. But apparently all the people that went were just super chill about the whole thing, because as far as I know, there were no lawsuits filed by anyone who went. Speaking about the people who went, let's talk about the attendees. So the people who attended Woodstock were young people who participated in what is known as the counterculture movement. It was something that was sweeping across the United States in the 60s. These people were often referred to as hippies or beatniks. Hmm. Now, still today, hippies are stereotyped as the people who engaged in a lot of sex, a lot of drugs, and a lot of rock and roll. All of this is true, but it's important to understand the reasons why they did these things. So they wanted freedom from societal norms and established way of thought. The Civil Rights Movement and Vietnam War were all over the news, and it angered them. It, it made them want to take action against a society that would allow the kind of injustice to happen. Some of these established norms included sexual repression, so beatniks and hippies experimented with sexual liberation, which included premarital sex, oral sex, and talking about sex. Okay. Like, these were novel things. You just didn't talk about sex back then. Mm. Um, and all of this was a super no from society. They also engaged in illicit drugs, mostly weed and LSD, in hopes of finding a, quote, spiritual awakening that never ended up occurring. Uh, they also looked for a solution to society by distancing themselves from it, and they congregated toward anything that supported their thought and ideals in search for this community. And Woodstock was that place that was their community. So you have roughly 400,000 angry people who believed in counterculture, and they just get together peacefully to discuss ideals. You said before that they held cops that got stuck in the yeah. mud. There was no fighting. Like, there was no violence whatsoever. This is like some ancient Greek philosophical meeting of the minds type stuff right here. Yeah. Plus, they had weed and acid and LSD. Like, imagine if this could have been possible around the world. Like, they... It's almost like an experiment. Like, this could be possible. Peace could be possible with these 400,000 people. Hmm. Why is it not possible? elsewhere kind of thing so you're saying counterculture should be the new culture i'm just saying it worked out for them 
why not? I'm, I'm going to move on. Fair. Fair enough. <laughs> Woodstock was so successful because the music was a beacon for their movement. It resonated with them, and it was a huge part of the counterculture movement. The artists sang about and shared their perspective on war and peace. They also mm-hmm. committed themselves to the counterculture movement completely. Janis Joplin, who was a headliner at Woodstock, even moved to San Francisco during the hate asbury area, um, era, where many people lived at Golden Gate Park. And everyone who lived there were constantly high and they relied on relatives for financial stability. She understood the loneliness that came from the counterculture movement and sang about it as well as the future of, of the world at Woodstock. And honestly, I feel like hippies were the millennials of the 60s. I mean, totally misunderstood, mm-hmm. super lonely, mm-hmm. lost, unhappy with the world around them. Yep. I like super resonate with that. Same here. Now, finally, music. Rock and roll was a new form of music that was derived from jazz music. It was made famous by Elvis Presley. A branch off of rock and roll was what's called protest music, very popular in the 60s. Protest music was often written about the war in Vietnam, uh, where they would blame the government for the countless lives lost at war. Now, this type of music, while very popular, was not heard on the radios often for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Societal norms and all. Clearly. Uh, <laughs> the music industry was also afraid of upsetting the head of radio companies, so they wouldn't put it on the air. So the artists at Woodstock did not have to be super well-known because their music fit with the aesthetic. They didn't have to have a headliner like Jay-Z or I don't know who else is famous right now because it didn't matter. They were there for the aesthetic, essentially. Um, There were a few songs. One of my favorites from Woodstock is by Country Joe McDonald, who sang, quote, I feel like I'm fixing to die, Rag. What really gets me is the fact that these dudes who are in the music, one dude's in the music industry and like all of these big money like deep in the culture guys we're not in the culture we're not in the culture At like they all. reached out to like to all of these counterculture people yeah it, it was like like that's why it was such a get rich quick scheme because they were not any part of counterculture they were they were the established norms that they were fighting against but they marketed it so well that you wouldn't have been able to know i mean their posters had like a dove and was like peace love and rock and roll and I don't know. They they had also said that Bob Dylan was going to come. That's what they kept saying. Like, Bob Dylan was the... He was counter- the guy. <laughs> he was the counterculture guy. But he was in Europe, so, like, they never came. But uh, people, like, went to Woodstock to see Bob Dylan. Well, we didn't get Bob Dylan, so tell us about Joe McDonald. I shall. This was the last song on his set list, and it was the perfect anti-war song. His chorus was, and I quote... And it's one, two, three. What are we fighting for? Don't ask me. I don't give a damn. Next stop is Vietnam. It's five, six, seven. Open up the pearly gates. Well, there ain't no time to wonder why. Whoopee. We're all going to (laughs) die. I guess. I feel that. And uh, later on in his song, he wrote about Wall Street and big business. He said, come on, Wall Street. Don't be slow. Why, man, this is war. A go, go. There's plenty good money to be made by supplying the army with tools of its trade. But just hope and pray that if they drop the bomb, they drop it on the Viet Cong. Like, honestly, this whole song is, like, history gold. And Woodstock was famous for people like him singing music like this. It helped make it such a big event, and he was a hit with the crowds. Yeah, because he hit the nail right on his big, ugly head, just speaking unfiltered. You you just can't stop this guy. <laughs> no, he was awesome. And Axe had the crowd chanting, fuck. They said that you could hear it for miles. When The Who, which is another headliner, took stage, in the middle of their set, a Yippie leader, Abby Hoffman, grabbed the mic from them and announced that the festival was meaningless as long as the White Panther Party leader and MC5 manager, John Sinclair, was rotting in prison. Peter Townshed um, then pushed her off stage with his guitar. Like, I'm telling you, music and politics, so connected. And even this, no fight. Yeah, and 
before you get all uppity and or confused, the White Panthers are not what you expect <laughs> them to be. Not at all. They are a far-left, anti-racist group who fought alongside the Black Panthers. So essentially, they're just the white people who couldn't be Black Panthers. Like, they're not bad people. No. They're really good people. Peace and love, man. That's what I'm saying. They were cool. Another iconic performance was obviously Jimi Hendrix. Now, back then, the biggest name in music sang last. Like, there, it was their Bob Dylan. So he was saying yeah. last of the festival. So you stayed the whole festival to see this guy. So he was set to play Sunday night, the 17th of August. Instead, there were delays and rain, and he didn't end up playing till 9 a.m. on Monday morning. But he played for two hours straight. His most famous bit was playing the Star Spangled Banner on his guitar, even though much of the people had already left the venue by Monday morning, so a fraction of the people saw him. Only 30,000 of the original 400,000. It was really the movie that came out that made him famous. I mean, <laughs> this was Woodstock. Mm-hmm. So, uh, all in all, it cost $2.5 million to run, which was clearly more than the 1.3 they made in sales. Uh, but the debt was paid with assistance from the banks, a.k.a. John Roberts. Pays to be rich, I guess. Always good to have friends in high places. <laughs> and this is the real This is the real Woodstock. The good, the bad, the memories, the counterculture. Happy 50th Woodstock, everyone. So, fun fact. There is just a little controversy <laughs> going on with the 50th anniversary where... Uh, one of the co-founders, Michael Lang, is suing the Dentsu Aegis Network for prematurely announcing the festival and is accusing them of having, quote, illegally swept approximately $17 million from the festival bank account, end quote. So, uh, that's fun. Guess he didn't learn from the first festival that you can't make money off of it. Apparently not. He's still out there. So, this originally wasn't going to be our first episode, but... We saw that it was going to be the 50th anniversary of Woodstock, so we felt we had to celebrate somehow. So please tune in for our first month of actual podcast episodes. We're kicking it off with a month of interesting assassinations. First, the assassination of JFK. There are, they are some of my favorite topics in history, and they are pretty entertaining, if I do say so myself. Until next time, the rest is history. Bye bye